Hello, I'm Janelle Penny, Editor-in-Chief of Buildings Magazine, and today I'm here with Dr. Jordan Peccia, PhD, an Associate Professor of Environmental Engineering at Yale University, and today we're talking about indoor air quality. Dr. Peccia serves on the Board of Directors for the American Association of Aerosol Research, and he's an Associate Editor for the journal Indoor Air. Dr. Peccia, thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to be here, Janelle. Thanks. So you'll be speaking at the Healthy Buildings America conference soon. What will you be talking about? I'll be talking about mold and dampness in building. So it's a pretty old topic, but a continuing and potentially growing problem in buildings, especially given our increased frequency of extreme precipitation events that's been predicted and is actually occurring due to climate change. We've applied some new DNA sequencing techniques to the problem. And when we pair DNA sequences of dust samples in homes with machine learning algorithms, we have a tool now that gives us a much better framework for assessing whether a building space has a hidden mold problem or not. So the topic of the, of the talk will be integrating these new types of tools in mold inspection and mold and clearance for uh, homes as well as industrial or, or commercial buildings. Interesting. So let's set the record straight. What factors have the biggest impacts on indoor air quality in commercial buildings? And what are the main things that cause poor indoor air quality? You know, there are many different types of chemicals or particles that can limit air, indoor air quality. Um, but I think in the broadest terms, you can think about this in buildings as sources and sinks of particles or chemicals or microbes in indoor air. The sources, again, are many, and some are really obviously avoidable, like smoking in buildings. But other sources are more difficult to control. Here I'm talking about examples like pathogen emissions from humans, or off-gassing of chemicals from building materials. The major control we have, this is that is the sink, um, to remove indoor air contaminants is ventilation. So proper ventilation can be a game changer, but it's really important to say that um, you know, ventilation can't, you can't ventilate yourself out of every indoor air quality problem. And often there needs to be some control of whatever sources you have. From the standpoint of mold, it's just important to keep a building dry from leaks. The areas around buildings need to be well-drained and humidity inside of a building needs to be well-controlled. What are the potential consequences of bad indoor air quality? Well, the major one is health. We spend 90% of our time in buildings where the particulate matter, chemical, and biological contaminants are often higher in concentration than they are in outdoor air. Thus, um, environmental exposures occur mostly inside buildings, not in the outdoor environment. What are some of the biggest misconceptions that you find people have about indoor air quality and what impacts it? Well, I believe uh, many people have misconceptions about ventilation. And I hear a lot of complaints from people in modern office buildings where they say they don't allow for opening windows. The reality is, however, that air exchange rates, if they meet guidelines in commercial buildings, can be much, much higher than they are in your home, um, where you might have control of your windows. Um, many people have this misconception that homes are well ventilated when they typically are not well ventilated at all. Uh, air exchange rates in a commercial building may be on the order of five or six per hour. Whereas in a home, they're typically under one half uh, air changes per hour. Homes are ventilated typically by leakage and rarely have mechanical ventilation. Many may say that they have ventilation ducts, 
But these forced air systems in homes are just moving air around and circulating air. There's no actual outdoor intakes in, in homes. And so I think, and I think the major misconception is, is that their home is well ventilated and that because they can't open a window in a commercial building means it's not ventilated. Interesting. How do you know if your IAQ is bad? Are there certain red flags that a facilities team should be watching out for in a commercial building? Yeah, uh, you know, there are at least a few ways that you can get some sort of indication. Uh, an obvious one is if building occupants have health complaints, then you should take them seriously. But that being said, you know, and from a really practical standpoint, it's very difficult to diagnose a building IAQ problem from health complaints, either because the health effects are not specific. They may be a headache, they may be a respiratory issue, uh, respiratory issue, or because, um, you know, there are different susceptibilities among different people. So that doesn't give you a huge amount of information on where to look for, for an indoor air quality problem. So I think the important message here is that you can measure indoor air quality parameters in buildings now much easier than you could in the past. The idea here is that sensors over the last 10 years have become very commonplace, low cost, and quite effective and can be implemented and installed in buildings and people can monitor that. Sensors can monitor things like NOx, particulate matter, carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, VOCs, and they can do so in real time. Um, you know, I've had a sensor in my home for the last three years. And, you know, if there is an air, indoor air quality problem, I'll likely see it through the sensor. But more than that, I learn a lot from the sensor, and I'm surprised how I'm constantly learning things like, you know, how high the carbon dioxide concentration gets in my child's room at night, or whether the dehumidifier in my basement is working. I don't have to go down there and check the dehumidifier. I can look on my phone, and if the humidity gets to some certain level, I know that, you know, a fuse has been blown or something got unplugged that didn't need to be unplugged. Um, I can even learn, you know, I've even learned that in my 120-year-old fireplace in my house, it puts out more carbon dioxide than, than I'd like it to. Great. If you suspect that your building's indoor air quality is bad, what should be your first step? I think the first step should be to take measurements or hire an expert that can take measurements to assess what the building sources might be. Um, anything from radon to mold or moisture. Okay, and what about next steps, depending on what the cause is? Yeah, well, so that of course depends on what the cause is, but just in general, beyond ensuring that your building is well ventilated, possible and dry, those are just the two big things that should be important always, right? Then you need to somehow locate that source and remediate it in a way that's commensurate with the source. Makes sense. And people are worried about transmission of COVID-19 right now, what do people need to know about indoor air quality as it relates to COVID transmission? Well, you know, I think COVID-19 is exemplary of a lot of indoor air quality problems in that it requires things like medical, environmental, and behavioral controls. So, you know, I'll, I'll list some things that are important if you're concerned about COVID, but I think it's, again, the main theme here of my answer should be that uh, buildings are just one of the layers and buildings can't do everything in reducing COVID. So, you know, first of all, if you're worried about COVID, we have a vaccine, effective vaccines and that should be your first line of defense. They're safe and effective. Second is human behavior. And this gets into air quality about masks. 
you know, most masks are not perfect. Um, and people know that, and scientists know that, but they do provide some degree of protection from droplet exposure and inhalation exposure. If you're really worried and you don't like, you know, the 25 to 50% effect effectiveness of your mask, you can get N95 masks, and if worn properly, they'll remove 90 plus percent um, of the viruses that you might inhale. There are other things like crowds. Crowds um, mean a greater chance of encountering infected people, um, so stay distance from people um, to, to avoid droplet infection and enjoy, avoid crowds, especially indoors, to avoid you know, your chance of infections. Doing things outdoors is always better than doing things indoors. Um, so the first was maybe the vaccine, the second is behavior, the third is the buildings. And again, I go to pains to talk about the first and second, just to demonstrate that buildings can't be everything and we can't do nothing and expect buildings to cure our, our diseases, but they can help and it can be um, quite useful. Um, so there are a few things that we should think about with buildings and the key recommendations are is number one, when possible, if COVID infections are high in the community, try to keep occupancy in that building low. More people increases the chance of having more infectors in the building, right? Ventilation is very helpful. Uh, as long as you ventilate to the ASHRAE standards or the ASHRAE guidelines, I think that's you know, the recommended level of ventilation. That ventilation should be with outdoor air if you can do it, right? Try not to recirculate air. But that again isn't practical in every building. If you have to recirculate air, then improve your filters. Something like MERV 13 filters um, can add another layer of protection, especially for recirculated air and ventilation. Um, and then the other thing is I'm thinking about you know, buildings that are older or even our homes, unventilated spaces. Unventilated spaces are bad, right? Especially if they have a high occupancy. So you can reduce your exposure in a few ways, one by avoiding those unventilated uh, spaces, two by doing some sort of uh, a ventilation. You know, it sounded like uh, last, last Thanksgiving, people said, well, if you're gonna be at home and you have a, uh, a lot of people there, open up a window, but that makes a lot of sense. Homes are really poorly ventilated. And by opening a window, you can add some ventilation that gives you a, a decent amount of protection. Um, the other things you can do is you can add air cleaners and filtration units to unventilated areas, and you can get a significant amount of what we'd call effective air exchange rate from those devices. Great. Dr. Peggia, thanks so much for joining me today. It was my pleasure. And thanks to all of you for listening. We'll see you next time.